Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. This morning, we're back on the plane uh, with Jesus, and um, we are talking about giving and generosity, um, and uh, we are in Luke 6, 27 through 38. But I say to you, love, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. I saw uh, a quote on... uh, a sermon that a colleague did, a pastor in um, Arkansas. Um, Hymns of love and salvation are easy to sing. Lives of love and salvation are hard to live. I think that sums up what we're talking about this week. Um, This morning, again, we're talking about grace and mercy and what true generosity looks like. Um, As I read this scripture and thought about the culture in which Jesus is speaking, um, again, Sheldon came to mind. Um, If you remember at the beginning of this episode, if you're a Big Bang fan, um, he sets it up with that he doesn't like to give gifts. This is the the episode we learned that he doesn't like to give gifts. Um, He doesn't like to receive gifts because he doesn't want to owe anybody anything. He doesn't want them to be able to hang something over his head. And that kind of thought about giving was actually really prominent in the crowd that Jesus is speaking to. Relationships were reciprocal. You would probably only be friends and connected to people who could pay you back for the things that you offer to them. Or the very act of giving obligated the recipient to reciprocate. Sometimes it was used to establish power situations. Those who had more or those who wanted something would give knowing they would be entitled to something in the future. In her book, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks, 
Diana Butler Bass says that for eons, gratitude has been understood as an obligation to repay a favor or a gift. It was defined as an exchange between a benefactor and a beneficiary. A benefactor gives a gift to a beneficiary, and the beneficiary gives the benefactor a, a favor, a token, or a duty in return. Bottom line, though, the returning the favor was like a moral obligation. Reciprocal gratitude operated in the spheres of politics, society, and, and even was seen as a measure of virtue. Ancient philosophers like Aristotle and Seneca speculated on it, exploring gratitude as a divine virtue, but also a communal necessity. They saw it as important, this idea of owing and, and lording over people with, with protection and favors um, as a sign to keep order in the community. This served as a foundation for society by creating binding relationships that were built on benefits. The emperor or the king gave his subjects the gifts of protection and provision. In return, subjects offered loyalty, homage, service, tithes, and taxes. And if you, were fail, if you failed to return such a favor, um, such as not paying a tribute or, or refusing to send your son to serve in the army, you were branded an ingrate. That's where that word comes from. You were ingrateful or ungrateful, you know. Um, so not returning the favor could be... Um, punishable by uh, denial of favor, reduction in rank, seizure of property, enslavement, prison, exile, and death. And this is the kind of culture that Jesus is speaking into. A lot of Sheldons running around, kind of. <laughs> Some of them a little more power hungry, though. And this is not what the kind of giving that Jesus is talking today. The scripture continues, uh, again, about our Sermon on the Plain and, and here, Jesus is continuing to describe what God's kingdom looks like. He's describing what the inbreaking of God looks like in the world. This is our last Sunday of Epiphany. This season, in, in uh, this year, um, Epiphany is like one of the longest epiphanies ever. So if you're tired of this starlight background or whatever, it all changes next week. Um, this is a wonderful way to end the season of Epiphany because what we're invited to this morning in this passage is to be part of the Epiphany, to be part of God's inbreaking into the world, to be part of showing the kingdom to this world. Last week we talked about the desperate people that were coming to Jesus and how we were to protect and love them because they were close to the heart of God, but we were also supposed to learn from them, to acknowledge our own desperateness, our own places where we know that we need Jesus. And this is probably another passage that you've heard before. Um, I think in my mind, it's also one of the passages that gets misused the most as well. Um, so we're going to talk this morning about what these scriptures really mean for us and what they're inviting us into, but also what they don't mean. So how do we invite other people into the miracle of living the kingdom of heaven on earth? What does that look like? What does it look like to be part of the epiphany? First, we offer mercy. 
This week, uh, you may or may not know, I also serve as a campus minister at ECU with students. And this week, our Bible study was on compassion. And so we started, uh, my intern led the Bible study, and we started playing this game. And everybody held up both of their hands, all ten fingers. And um, I would say, like, Jennifer, do you love your neighbors? And Jennifer would say, yes, I love all my neighbors, except. And then, like, you could say, I love all my neighbors except those wearing jeans or those with blue eyes or those who are only children. And you could, every time, whatever, if you fell into that exception, you put a finger down. And so the goal was to be the last person with fingers up. Um, and, you know, you could have the fun with um, trying to target out people and get somebody out. They did that with the intern because, you know, it was her game. She made them play it. So, um, but, but the point was that to remind us that whether we recognize it or or not, we often are are like the participants in that game. That we would say, yes, I love all my neighbors, except. We all have those groups, those types of people, those even individual persons that we would say, yes, I love all my neighbors, except. We were challenged to think about how we would fill in the blank. Remember, Jesus is addressing this crowd of desperate people, people at the margins of society that that feel like they don't have anywhere else to go because society has said, yes, we love our neighbors, except. As we continued talking about compassion, one of the students said something really profound. You can't have compassion for people that you don't really listen to hit me in kind of a fresh way because I'd never really thought about it that way. The truth is you can't have real compassion for people. You keep at a distance. You may feel sorry for them. You may feel sympathy for them. But compassion and mercy go together as you, and they happen as you get up close to other people. Compassion and mercy go together because when I really know what you're going through, when I've heard you and I'm willing to come alongside you, that is how I express mercy to you. So first, we offer mercy. We get close. And second, we offer generosity. I've had the opportunity over the last uh, years to to work with a number of congregations of different sizes and different ages as a congregational coach and a consultant. And there is a terrible epidemic that's happening in our churches, an attitude of scarcity. Once it takes hold, it doesn't let loose. It's this idea that I don't have enough, I will never have enough. It's a fear of the unknown that that leads us to greedily stockpile what we have. I coach multiple ministers that, that pastor churches that have literally millions of dollars that they're sitting on in endowments. And they don't want to touch them because the church has a mindset of scarcity. They don't want to pay for any improvements, hire new staff, pay their current staff properly, or invest in children's and youth ministries because fear is driving everything. And it's not just in our churches. People live in fear of scarcity, live tight-fisted kind of lives, lives that are afraid of the other. That's how generosity and this idea of mercy and and not judging go hand in hand. We are not generous with people that we fear. 
If we are forced to give, then, then we hold back, afraid there will be a time when too much is asked of us or we're cheated. You have to trust to be generous. Being generous isn't about a certain amount that you give away. It's about a mindset of living a life with open hands and open arms, open with the resources that you have. If you've been to other countries, you know that the people who have the least are often the most generous people that you will meet. They appreciate what they have. They are proud of it and they want to share it. This theme of hospitality is critical all throughout the Old and New Testament. It's the command to love our neighbors and our enemies. It's about welcoming in the stranger, not fearing them. Which brings me to the final command in our scripture today. Do not judge. We don't get to decide who is in and out. We have made Christianity more about policing morality than about love. There are some very elite, very exclusive clubs in the world. I found information about two of them online. One is called the Giga Society. There are six members, six members worldwide. Membership is not limited by money, background, or a cap on the number of members allowed in. Yet as of right now, there are six members, two in the U.S. and four in Europe. It might have something to do, the small size, with the fact that you have to be smarter than 0.9999999999% of the population to join. According to their own website, this means, in theory, one in a billion people can qualify. To do so, you have to have scored more than 195 on one of their accepted IQ tests, which frankly sounds pretty hard to do. Another group is the Ejection Tie Club, like a tie. To join this club of 5,607 members, only 10 of whom are women, you must have survived being fired out of a military plane by an ejection seat. That's how exclusive this club is. You have to be pretty hardcore to go through something like that and live to tell the tale. However, you might have noticed, again, the ejection tie club. What does that have to do with anything? This exclusive club of current and former servicemen and women who all at one point stared death in the face exists only to hand out special ties so that when they weren't in uniform, members would have some form of recognition amongst themselves. There's no dinners, no get-togethers, no awards for bravery, just ties. The truth is that while these sound crazy, we all have this deep desire to belong to something. And, and part of that leads us to create things just to belong to. So we're in and others are out. Dwayne Preeb, a theologian, said years ago, every time you draw a line between who's in and who's out, you'll find Jesus on the other side of that line. Our goal as the church is not to decide who we get to exclude. Our goal as Christians in the world is, is not to decide who we get to exclude from our individual lives, but, but to welcome those who often feel unlovable. Those folks that Jesus is speaking to were desperate. And often, rather than relating to them and loving those kind of people, we judge them so that we can feel superior. You never know what someone has been through or what makes someone tick. 
You never know what your love could be able to do when you step away from behind the judging table. I promise to talk about what I don't think this passage says. I'm a, I'm a part of a minister's group online. It's called Things They Didn't Teach Us in Seminary. And it's, it's a resourcing group where people can ask questions, uh, share resources, or just vent about some of the crazy experiences you have when you're in ministry. Recently, a few weeks ago, one minister posted um, that she needed some advice. She'd posted something on her Facebook page that she did not think was very political and hadn't intended it to be. But of course, in today's world, everything becomes political. A nearby minister had blasted her online, saying all kinds of awful things to her, and she felt very comfortable unfriending and blocking that minister. But she has this congregation member who does this kind of thing often. She had also posted a very nasty personal attack on her Facebook page. This minister said she's tried to rationally talk with this person, tried to find some common ground or at least set some ground rules for normal social media behavior. <laughs> and it's got her nowhere. And she was asking the other ministers what should she do. She even mentioned in her responses, you know, that whole turning the cheek thing. I, I, I need to just turn the cheek, right, and let her keep doing this. She said, I feel bad blocking her because maybe I will have an opportunity to minister to her. This scripture passage has been used for people to avoid conflict, to keep people staying in abusive relationships, and to keep people in their place. And that is not what this passage is talking about. In fact, turning the other cheek may in some cases show that violence is justified. Someone who successfully steals may steal again. What Jesus is calling us to is a mercy that's modeled after the mercy of God. This is not about not fighting for what is right. It is not about avoiding healthy conflict with people. It is not allowing yourself to be abused by others. Sometimes mercy looks like standing up for yourself. Because someone needs to know that you and they are children of God. Sometimes generosity looks like saying no to someone because you know that what they need more than what they're asking for is to earn it themselves. For some of us, this idea of standing up for mercy and saying no as an act of love is harder than the first part of showing it. If you are giving and standing down, not out of love, but to keep the peace or out of fear, then that is not the kind of mercy and generosity that God is talking about here. I love the last verse. Sounds like a kid's song or a nursery rhyme or something. Verse 38, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is referencing a kind of generosity that they would have been familiar with from the marketplace. They would go to visit a grain merchant, and the merchant would fill their measuring container with grain to the brim. Then, if they were really generous, they would shake down that container to make sure that all the grain fell into all of the nooks and crannies. And then the merchant would pour extra grain on top with the overflowing grain going into the apron of the buyer to be able to carry home. 
Jesus is not calling us to a, a kind of life that has the disclaimer, um, some items may have shifted, and that's why this bag does not look full. Um, I went into the pantry at my parents' house, and I immediately found a box of Good Thins rice crackers. And of course, on the bottom of it, it says, this package is sold by weight, not by volume. If it does not appear full when opened, it's because contents have settled during shipping and handling. You can't blame us that it's not full. This is not what Jesus is describing here. That's not the kind of generosity Jesus is talking about. A few weeks ago, I was here in town trying to find a house. And for another grueling day, it was turning up nothing. And so before I headed back to Bear Grass, I decided that I wanted some frozen yogurt. <laughs> and by this point, I was up in Nightdale, and so I was getting my frozen yogurt, and I heard the cashier tell somebody else that it was $5 day. And that meant that anything you could fit into their cup was only $5. So at this point, I was filling up my cup of yogurt, and so I stopped, and I took my cup, and I tapped it on the counter, made sure the yogurt was filling all the nooks and crannies, and then I got some more, and then I went over to the toppings bar, and I did the same thing to get all the toppings I wanted, each time tapping it down and making sure it all filled into the nooks and crannies. I was going to make sure that I took the most advantage of that $5 Tuesday that I could. And since we don't buy grain from the marketplace, I, I think that, that kind of image speaks to me more than a cup of grain in the marketplace. It's like the frozen yogurt place that, that shakes down the yogurt, shakes down the topping to make sure you get it all in. But in Jesus' analogy, then the yogurt guy would say something like, hold out your hands, and, and would fill them up with frozen yogurt too. I mean, I love frozen yogurt, but, but even I think that's a little crazy. But, but just picture it. That's the kind of generosity that Jesus is talking about. That's the kind of life that we're called to be living. Not one that avoids saying no when no is best. One that creates healthy boundaries, but does so from a place of abundance and not scarcity. That's what we're talking about here. Do you live a life that's pinched, looking down at others, or, or just specific people? Remember, yes, I love everyone except... Are you living from a place of fear or a place of love? Generosity, mercy, and no judgment flow from a life that's overflowing with love. And that's our invitation this morning, to open our hands, open our arms, to give and receive mercy, to live our lives from a place of generosity and not fear, to love without judgment, and to do the hard work of love. That is how we are a part of the epiphany of Jesus.